Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Hi, I'm Molly. And I'm Abigail. We're sisters. And we believe in ghosts. Welcome to Supernatural Sisters, a podcast all about ghostly encounters, bone-chilling monsters, and basically anything that goes bump in the night. Each week, we talk about a haunted place, a legendary monster, or a story that sends shivers down our spine. And maybe we'll talk about the pottery scene from Ghost. He's not a ghost in that scene. There are other parts of that movie where he's a ghost. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts. And remember, we, we believe, believe you. you. You ready? Let's get to crime in. Hey, hey what's, what's up, you guys? guys? I'm Catherine. And I'm Haley. And we are Saturdays for the Ghouls. A Podmouth podcast. How are you doing, Haley? I'm okay. I got poked today. Oh, yeah. But it's over and it didn't, it doesn't hurt anymore. Tell that to my bruise. Where'd it go? There okay. it is. But the bruise doesn't hurt. Like, it hurts if I touch it. Then don't touch it. Just punch it. And I also got a tattoo yesterday, so both my arms are kind of hurting. This one doesn't hurt that bad, though. Yeah. Gang, gang. Tattoo gang. How are you, Catherine? Okay. I'm ready to, like your name says on the Zoom, let's get to crime in, I guess. Okay, Trevor Wagner. Who? That was for you. I know. For you, baby. <laughs> she knows I have a weakness for that man. Forever Trevor, if you're listening like to, to this. On the podcast, we would love to have you. <laughs> she has a boyfriend, so no, she will not objectify you. She just... I mean... <laughs> no, I won't. Obviously, we won't because he's a human. Are you Are you ready to get into the crime today? I've done a lot of work. I'm so ready. I've been, I've been so excited to listen to this. Let's start with the family that we're going to talk about today. Well, what, Catherine? Well, what, what is, what's, what's today? What's this week? It's true crime week. We're going to talk about a true crime. And that true crime involves a family. Oh, do Um, we not have a, we don't have a title? Well, there's going to be a title on this podcast. I would say maybe it's like the Broberg's nightmare. Maybe that would help. We're going to talk about the Broberg's nightmare. Okay. It doesn't help you because you don't know the story and you don't know the family yet. Are they called the Broberg's? Yes. Ah, okay. Using your little nugget up there. My my light bulb went off. I found this this topic on Netflix on a documentary called Abducted in Plain Sight. So if you've ever watched that documentary, this is going to be a reiteration of that case. But if you have it, sit tight, and I'm going to tell you a story. And if you want to, later you can go back and watch the documentary. But you won't need to because I've done such a good job. Because didn't you watch this documentary twice, you told me? Okay, I watched it one and a half times. I didn't oh, get all okay. the way through on the second one. But I did watch the majority of the second watch. I've watched it again, yes. So... I wanted to make sure I got all the details from the articles and from the documentary. Proud of you. You're welcome. <laughs> I sat through an hour and 30 minute documentary again. Damn, three hours. Yeah, but it's an interesting story. So let's let's jump into the crime, the criminy crime. We're gonna crime the, let's get to crime. We're going to meet the Brobergs. The Brobergs consist of five people, Bob, Marianne, Jan, Karen, and Susan. Like, if those aren't Brady Bunch names, I was going to say that's such that's such like white picket fence family names. Yeah, seventies white picket fence. Like, yeah, exactly. And that's that's essentially who these people were: a loving family of five, very traditional. Their dad was a florist, and he owned his own floral shop. They were active in the Church of Latter Day Saints or the LDS. Mm-hmm. And the girls described their childhood as relatively normal. Like they came from loving parents who loved them and cared for them. And their household was pretty traditional is the only word that kind of got, gave me like a red flag. But we'll see what that means. <laughs> yeah. No. You know, 
dude, Marianne was on the stage singing in the choir or something and noticed that there was a new family in the crowd. So after church, she went up to them and introduced herself. And this family was the Birchtolds. And they consisted of Robert, Gail, and their five children. I don't know their five children's name. I'm sorry. When they had come home from church after meeting them, the whole each family met each other. So it was kind of like a, hello, how are you? Bob, Robert, Marianne, Gail, the kids, all of that. When they came home, apparently the Birchtolds left a fruit basket at their house for them saying, hey, it was great to meet you at church, blah, 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 like, which it's a little aggressive when you meet someone for the first time and then you get a fruit basket from them. It was it was the 70s. I guess so. So the Birchtolds were their neighbors and they went to the same church as them. They became very quick family friends. Oh, also, also, so they became stalkers. Who knows? But as, right now, everyone's family friends. Everyone in the Robergs had a friend in the Birchtold family because everyone kind of had people that were around their age. So they would carpool to school. They slept over at each other's houses. And Robert became a father figure in the Robergs' life. So they, the girls, everyone called him B in their household, in the Broberg household. And, you know, Robert, Bob, Jimmy. Their dad was already named Bob, so they probably that's probably why they called him B, is what I'm assuming. Rob and B. I hate the similarities with this family already. Well, they both start with B. Yeah. Well, they, they five have, kids, well, they're a family five, of five. Anyway, they they became very quick friends as as we as we've seen. But Robert gave very special attention to Jan, who was 12. Gross. And just as like a trigger warning, it's going to get worse from here. Okay. Okay. Though the parents said that it was kind of strange that he gave her special attention. They didn't think anything of it. He was a nice guy. It was the 70s. <laughs> they were naive. Jan shared a room with her sister in the Broberg household, and they thought that maybe eventually they might split their rooms up, but it never really happened. But Robert came into the house and like was mentioning to them like, hey, you're getting older. It's probably best if you have your own room. And so as the good guy he is, he built a wall in between the bedrooms so that each girl has their own room. And he was he's a handyman. He was a he worked in like furnishings and handyman stuff. So it wasn't out of the out of the norm, I guess, for him to offer to help with that, I guess. I would think it's weird. Mm -hmm. It's fair. But this is how the family explained it. Um, hey, little girl, you're getting a little old there. Let me just build you a wall. Okay. So you can have your let private me, let me, room. Let me give you more of a better picture. I think that Robert was like 38 when he met them. So he wasn't, hey, little girl, like grandpa size. He's like, like a little bit younger, you know. That's still, hey, little girl to me. That's like close to my sister's age. Like, it's not that, like. To a 12-year-old? I'm not saying, not, I'm not saying in relations to her. I'm saying that, like, to me, the voice that you were giving was a, like, 80-year-old, like, grandpa. Oh, no, that was just a creepy scumbag voice. Oh. Okay, then you're right. One time. Jan and, and her sisters were sleeping over at the Borchtold's house. They were, um, they had a trampoline outside. What? No, I just, I, every time you say their last name, it makes me laugh. Birch trolls. No, not trolls. Birch, I've been hearing Birchtold's. T-O-L-D. Holds. Birchtold's. Okay. I've been hearing trolls this whole time. Well, glad we cleared that up. It's Birchtold's. Hold. And I'm over here like, damn, they, they are the inspiration for trolls. Right. Because the I think the, the cook or whatever is like a birch troll or something. No. Like that's their name. Wow. I mean, maybe they are. It's, who knows? But at the birch trolls, it was very fun because they got to go sleep outside under the stars on a trampoline that they had in their backyard, which was Aww. really fun for Jan and the girls. They really loved doing that. But one night, Jan remembers waking up. Sorry, 
The reason I laughed is Haley's making a face already because she knows where it's going. I have the it. You're the only one, Haley. Out of all the people in this scenario, you're the only person that has the ick right now. Everyone's like, la, 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 la. We love this <laughs> man in our daughter's lives. So she woke up to her underwear down at her ankles. And she did see Robert Birchtold, like, laying next to her. And he says, like, hey, are you okay? Because I saw that you were kind of, like, restless. And so you must have just, like, pushed your underwear down. And she said, like, she said that she believed him because that was more probable than him hurting her or being any kind of weird towards her like that. So in her mind, in her 12-year-old mind, she was like, oh, okay, that's plausible. Yeah, that makes sense. That's never happened to me before, but that makes sense, I guess. Because in her 12-year-old mind couldn't comprehend him being any danger to her. Right. So she, you know, just pulled them back up and went about her sleep, I guess. A few months into the fall of 1972, so that's just a few months after they met. They met in June. So a few months into fall, he began calling Marianne, the wife, and asking her, like, hey, can you bring me a sandwich? I left my lunch at home. I'm at work. Can you bring me a sandwich? Which I guess this is the 70s, so, like, maybe that's okay, but it seemed strange, right? So, but she did, and then she began to do so frequently. He would tell her, like, hey, you are so beautiful. Like, you have such great legs. You have a great body. And during a church outing one time, they drove out into the mountains and they, Marianne said, quote, stayed there too long than, than they should have. And they had like hissed and like he like felt her up. And then during that same time of year, he was hanging out with Bob Broberg and they were chatting in the car. And Robert was like, hey, like, I hate my wife, Gail. She doesn't want to ever have sex. I am so sexually frustrated. Like, I don't know, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so then he asked Bob in the car to help him get relief. And so Bob gave in and gave him a handjob in the car to relieve him of his frustration. Bro, this man's just going through the household, ain't he? Yeah. And so, like, going back to the, the point, the only reason why I mentioned that they were from the LDS faith is that this is like no in the LDS faith. Like homosexuality is a big, big no. Like there are some churches that it may be okay, but like in the Church of Latter-day Saints, it's a no, no thank you. So this was like a big deal that he did this to him for like in his, in him, in his self. Like it was a weird thing for him to do. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know how that transpired that, the dad got roped into that. But anyway, January 1974, the LDS church rebuked him because he had found that he had a relationship with a young girl. And so he was sent, he was sent to a therapist to address his issues and to go through like some kind of therapy to address why he wants to do those things with young girls. So when Robert came back from the therapist, he told the Brobergs that it is part of his therapy that he's required to spend alone time with their daughters to help him progress in his therapy. And due to the religion and the fact that he had a lot of now dirt on them with the affairs outside of their marriage, they were kind of afraid to deny Robert of anything at that point. And so they were like, I guess that's fine. Like they didn't think that they honestly didn't think that anything bad was happening. The parents were very naive, which was like the first nail in the coffin here. Like we found out that they were thoroughly just very naive. And so they said, sure, I guess that's not a problem. So he laid next to Jan while she slept and he listened to a tape that was provided by the therapist. And he did this like four times a week for six months. But it turns out that the therapist was never licensed and had his license taken away and that of course during those sessions Robert was molesting Jan in her sleep during those visits and she didn't know about it because she stayed asleep 
like she didn't necessarily know. So she she didn't tell anyone because she didn't know. So it was just like a secret. And it was very weird. Like, why would you have to have alone time with these daughters? Like at all? Like that didn't make right. any sense. Mm-mm. And in the documentary, like they play parts of the tape and the tape is like, imagine this and imagine that. And it's like imagining like sexual things that are happening. Like those are what's what's playing in the tape in his in his headphones. So obviously that wouldn't help him. No, like be any better. So I didn't I didn't quite understand how that transpired. But I really think that it was because they were scared that he was going to tell the church about the things that they did. And I think that's why he did the things that he did with the parents was so that they had things. He had things against them. So fast forward to October 17th. 1974, he asked Marianne if he could take Jan horseback riding. Marianne was hesitant, but eventually said, you can pick her up from piano lessons and take her to the stables. But you, and she said, quote, you better have her back home before Bob gets home from work. He said, oh, yes, 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 of course we will. So Robert picked her up from piano and he gave her her allergy pill and they were off to the horse stables. And she fell asleep on the drive there. Unfortunately, she did not return home that night, but Marianne was like, something must be wrong because he didn't do anything. He, there's something wrong. Like, I don't know what it is. And she talked to Gail, his wife, and she was like, well, let's just give it till tomorrow and see if they come home. And, you know, there must have been like some kind of car troubles or something. And so Marianne didn't contact authorities because she was giving him the benefit of the doubt because she thought he was a good guy. And she also didn't want to upset his wife if there was really nothing wrong. So two days later on Saturday, he had still not returned home um, and she attempted to call the FBI. But because it was the weekend, there were weekend hours and she got the answering machine. And they said, if this is an emergency, please call this office. They'll be able to help you on the weekend. But she decided, like, there's no reason to make more of a fuss than there is. Like, I'll just wait a couple more days and see if she's still here. What the fuck? Yeah. So two days later, we're on a Monday. She called the FBI. She finally got a hold of them. And she told them that Jan and Robert never came home from horseback riding. And the detective from FBI came and talked to the parents. Um, They said, like, Robert's a friend and a neighbor. He's a pillar in the community. Like, we don't think she's taken her. We just don't know what's wrong. And the agent was like, hey, you have to, like understand this man just kidnapped your daughter that's what's just happened like he was trying to drill it like into their heads like you need to understand that he's kidnapped your daughter he's not a good guy you know it's like small town 70s we didn't know bad people were out there even the even the fbi agent was like i'd never worked a pedophilia case period like we talked about stranger danger but we never had it on this level because it just wasn't a thing that was like big until after the 70s, you know? I mean, I'm, I know there were pedophiles, but I'm just saying like there weren't cases for him mm-hmm. or it was rare. So the FBI went and questioned his wife. She said, I have no idea where they are, but we have a motor home that's in a storage unit. So maybe that's where they are. So they went and investigated and they went to the storage unit and the motor home was gone. So the FBI went and started a whole search, whole search for Robert and Jan trying to figure out where they were. They were notified that Robert's car was found in Rock State Park and the window was broken from the outside. So broken in and there was blood on the driver door. And so then at that point, they had to begin like a nationwide search because he wasn't in his car. They didn't know where he was. They didn't know what vehicle he was in. If he was, they didn't know anything at this point. Meanwhile, Jan woke up in a really weird place. She was laying down on this bed. She was confused, disoriented. It was very dark and her hands and feet were strapped to the bed. And there was a device next to her that was making this like really weird staticky sound. And there was like a message playing on the on the device. And it was a transmission from Zeta and Zethra. And these people were aliens. So they told her that She's not a human. She's a half alien and that her mom was her mom, 
but her father was an alien. And so she thought, I've been kidnapped by an F- a UFO. Like, I don't know where I am. I'm not on Earth anymore. And the other thing is, is that she's been told a story like this her whole life. The story of Jesus, where, you know, his mom was his mom, but his dad wasn't his dad. Like this, this story seemed probable to her because that story she'd been told her whole life, you know. The transmission also instructed her that she was supposed to have a baby with her male companion before she turned 16. And that this baby would save the alien planet that she was from. So they continued on to say that if she failed to do this, that her sister, her next oldest sister, Susan, would be taken to complete the task for the family. And potentially her family would die. So she said, they said, like, go to the front of the cabin or front of where you are and you'll meet your male companion. Who's the male companion, Haley? Oh, oh uh, B. Rob. B. Yes, Robert. So, but she felt, honestly, felt relieved that it was Robert because she was afraid it was going to be some, an alien. She didn't know what it was going to be. It's what it was going to be. She was actually relieved that it was Robert. Um, and she felt like it was strange, but the story was strange, but he felt like she was also strange because now she believes she's half alien. So she's weird too. So like, Things just weird things happen to weird people. And that's she's only 12. So it's like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, manipulation um, at its finest. So the box said, you know, the there was like this cabinet in the location, and there were these books in there, and they were books about sex. And so her and Robert reviewed the books and like looked at the books and they looked at it for a few days. They looked at it you know, for like maybe a week or so. I don't know exactly the timeline of how long that took. And then the box told her that it was now to go ask the male companion, if you can go do what makes people happy, is what the box said. So she proceeded to, I would say that this is considered that she was raped by Robert at that point. But she says it wasn't like a violent rape that I've heard like other girls that you know, have told their stories about, like, it wasn't violent. It was like, it was different. But all she said is that she focused on this little window that had leaves peering over the window. And that's all she did to just like focus on getting through it. And for like the next month, during this month, it, he continued to convince Jan that to complete the mission for the aliens and continue to abuse her in that manner in efforts to complete the mission. During this time, Robert took her across the border into Mexico, where she could be married to him at the age of 12. On November 20th, 1974. I know. Not your birthday. I know. Not your birthday. He called his brother Joe and was like, hey, I need you to talk to the Brobergs. And I need you to ask them to give me permission to marry their daughter in the United States. Because the marriage in Mexico was not valid in the U.S., and Marianne and Bob were like, no, you can't marry our 12-year-old daughter. No. And the brother's like, this is the only way that you're going to get your daughter back in the States. And they're like, no, like, I don't, like, no, there's no, there's no way that's going to happen. So the brother was like, okay, fine. I'm going to get her back in the States because you guys can't seem to figure it out. So the brother let the FBI tap his phone and they were able to trace the location of where Robert was calling him from find Robert and Jan. So they sent the local law enforcement to get them and they were held in separate cells in the jail there. They were held in separate cells. But Robert gave his gold ring to be able to speak to Jan to one of the guards. So one of the guards brought Jan out to speak to Robert, like through the gate. He's like, hey, I spoke to Cezeda and Zethra and you need to protect the mission. Just tell your family that I took you on vacation that was accidentally went too long and I took you too far away from home. Don't like you cannot have any contact with any man, including your father. And there are four things you can't talk about. And those four things are the aliens. You can't tell them about Zeta and Zerthar and you're not half alien. Like you can't tell anyone about that. You can't tell anyone about the relaxing pills that I give you, which helps him to do things. And then you can't talk about the mission at all. No, you, no one can know about that. And in turn, because you can't talk about the mission, you can't talk about 
the experiences that we've had on this trip. And so she was like, okay, I guess like, okay. So he says, if you do that, your youngest sister, Karen will go blind and your father will be removed is what they said, quote removed. And she says, I know that that meant that he was going to be killed. And then at that point, they were going to take Susan and that she, Jan, would be vaporized because she told about the whole situation. And she was like, okay, I won't tell anyone. Like, I won't tell anyone. Obviously, I won't tell anyone. I don't want to get vaporized. So I don't know what you want from me. (laughs) On November 23rd, we skipped your birthday. Your birthday's safe. Oh, thank God. Now, I don't necessarily know if the thing that happened on November 20th was only on November 20th. I bet it happened on both of our birthdays. But it was back in the 70s. We were not even thought of yet. Mm-mm. Okay, so on November 23rd, 1974, just a couple days later, Jan was returned to her family. When she saw her parents, she broke down. She was like asking about what was going to happen to Robert and like, like, where are they going to take him? What are they going to do to him? And her mom's like, that's up to the FBI. Like, we don't have to worry about that anymore. And she goes, why did you call the FBI? We were on vacation. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. On the plane home, she wouldn't sit next to her dad, but she did eventually get back home and she was given a physical and they said that her hymen was still intact, which I don't know if that was because of the relaxation pills and like maybe he wasn't aggressive. I don't know. She was really standoffish with her family because obviously she didn't want to get into like why or what happened. So she just kind of like distanced herself. And so like she distanced herself from her family. She wouldn't discuss anything that happened on the trip. She said like, yeah, I went parasailing like like it was a vacation. But in her, in the back of her head, she was consistently thinking about Robert. And she was like, I still need to complete this mission. Like, I don't know where Robert is. I don't know when he's going to come back. Like, I, I don't know what to do. So Robert was incarcerated, awaiting for his trial. And the Brobergs were told not to communicate with Robert or his family. And unfortunately, they did not follow those instructions. On Christmas Eve, Gail came to the Brobergs' house and she spoke to Bob privately in the like basement. She said, you guys need to sign affidavits saying that everything was a misunderstanding that nothing happened, that he didn't kidnap Jan. And if not, Robert was going to expose the encounter with Bob and, and Marianne's affair. And he was going to tell them that Bob was, he was in a, a homosexual relationship with Bob to have access to Jan, that he was under the impression that Bob gave him permission to take Jan on vacation. And so in effort to protect their reputation, and everything else, they signed the affidavits. And that put a wrench in the trial against Robert with the state. So quotes that came from the affidavit was, my daughter was not taken by force or against her will, nor was she held or confined against her will any time while in company of of the defendant. I honestly believe that there's a strong possibility that the defendant was under the impression he had my husband's and my consent to take my daughter when he left in October. I had the right under the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution to keep these matters within my family. I feel that the interest of justice in society would not be served by continuing to prosecute this matter. That's, the, that's basically the gist of what they signed. Now, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I would never, never sign that. Mm-mm. Obviously, I don't care what you say that you're going to say about me. Nope. Like, even if I did do the things you're going to say about me, like, say it. You're still going to go to prison. That's my fucking kid, bro. Right. (laughs) To me, that's how I feel. But I'm, we, you and I were raised in a different time. And I don't know if that's why. Back in the 70s, you left your doors unlocked. You didn't think that anyone was going to hurt you. I mean, well, nowadays, if you're homosexual, show up. I know. But, like, even back then, even if you were... It's just, it's more so that they were in the faith and that their yeah. church would, would uh, you know, rebuke them and not yeah. let them be in the church. The district attorney received these documents and they were like, there's still going to be a trial on this man. Like, I, we're going to try this man because he's obviously not right. Like, he's obviously a sociopath or something. Mm-hmm. Like, there's something mm-hmm. wrong with this man. 
They obviously <laughs> didn't have that verbiage back then, but they were like, we're still going to put him on trial. But now they have no witnesses, no one to testify. They have these affidavits that say, I think it was just a misunderstanding signed by the parents. And that just like wrecked the whole case. So Robert was released like on bail. And after a while, Jan was woken up by the box in her room. And Robert was there and told her about the mission. And they continued to remain in communication with each other via notes and phone calls in phone booths and like love letters that got to her. So like she said like she would be at school and someone would hand her a folded up piece of paper. And on that piece of paper, it would say, be at this this phone booth at four o'clock and you'll get your next instructions. And like there will be a call on that phone booth and it's Robert. Or he would like somehow get her letters. How was he infiltrating the school? I don't know. I don't know. Pay, paying a kid to go hand a piece of paper to someone? Maybe. I don't know. And then they have a quote from a love letter that Robert, mm. you don't want me to read it? You can. I know. It's, it's, it's yucky. It's icky. Um, I know. So it says, Hi, darling. I awake this morning thinking of you as usual and loving you even more. I remember you and Oliver the night that you cried when you sang, Where is Love, Especially for Me. Remember that song from Oliver, As Long as He Needs Me and the meaning it had in the play. Please, honey, sing it and know that I need your love now more than anything on this earth. Evil forces would like nothing more than to destroy us and ruin everything. I can do no more than love you every minute of my life. The rest is up to you. Be brave. Do everything that's right. And don't give up hope. I never will because through it all, there's you forever. And this poor girl loves this man. She writes love letters back to him. She, she told her mom that she wants to marry Robert. Like, mother, please let me marry Robert. Like, she'd been so manipulated. And, and brainwashed. Like, brainwashed by this man that, like, she's like, I love him so much. And it's like. And groomed. It was, exactly. And, and that was so scary. Anyway. So in spring of 1975, we are, the last time that we had a point was Christmas. So it's just a few months later. In spring of 1975, Robert told, who do you think he's going to tell? He's going to tell someone that he loves them. Who's he going to tell? Oh, Jan? No, he told Marianne that he was in love with her. Uh, oh, the mom. Yes. And she said, well, then why did you go and marry Jan? Like, what? What did that even do? And he's like, darling, I can explain everything. Darling. I don't know if he said darling, but I, that sounds like something he would say. He was like, I can explain Copy everything. Copy Right. Please just meet with me and let me talk to you about it because I am in love with you and I've always loved you. So she goes and meets with him. Why? Can you just leave it at the fact that he tried to kidnap your daughter? I'm sorry, but I felt... I just feel like how many how many red flags have they missed so far? Well, it's but making again, me angry because I'm like, what parent allows a man to mm -hmm. be around their daughter, marry their daughter, clearly kidnaps her, manipulates yeah. them, and then won't get their daughter back unless they agree to it, and then comes back and is like, oh, yeah, I want to be with you. And she comes off as like, she's jealous. Like, she's like, well, then why are you married to Jan then if you love me? Like, no, <laughs> no. It's very strange. So when she went to go meet with him, they had a like very long discussion about it. And in her words, she likes to say this, that she stayed too long and they ended up having sex that night. Hmm. Robert and Marianne continued to have an affair that lasted about eight months. During this affair, it really put a wedge between, obviously, Marianne and Bob. And after guidance from the church, Bob filed for a divorce. And he took his three daughters out of the house and told Marianne, like, you can't, you can't do this. Like, he's not a good man. Like, the dad kind of, like, at that point was kind of getting it, you know? Like, 
why are you doing this with Robert? Like, he's obviously not good to have around the children. Like, we can't have the children around him. So she, he files for divorce and took the kids out of the home because she was going to still have sex with him. So during the time that Marianne was having an affair with Robert, she probably had visits of about 11 times with Robert during the eight months. And Robert also visited Jan at least nine times during that time as well. My God. So Marianne, like, started understanding, like, maybe the severity of things that were happening. I don't know if she knew, like, that he was seeing Jan at the same time as he was seeing Marianne, right? But Marianne was like, Robert, this is the end. I'm not going to leave Bob. And Robert's like, Bob doesn't want you. Bob's gay. Like, Bob doesn't want you. And she goes, that's not true. And Mary Ann terminated the affair and reunited with her family. And she and Bob stayed married from that point forward. And I'm going to tell you, here's a safe zone, safe, safe checkpoint, right? She never went back to Robert. As far as I know, they, they, stopped, they really did stop having an affair. Okay. So there's at least one safety checkpoint here. But. After they figured out their whole divorce, Jan was still telling her parents that she wanted to be with Robert. And her parents were like, I don't I don't want you to be with Robert. Like, I don't want you to be around him. Like, it's not a good thing for you to be around him. Right. So the summer of 76. So she's probably like 14 now. (laughs) Robert moved to Wyoming. And he bought a family fun center. So that's like a place that has like arcade games. It had like a water park. And he was still sending Jan love letters and she sent some back and Jan asked her parents that she, she asked, I say asked, but she said that she like screamed and demanded she go and work at the family fun center over the summer with Robert. And Mm. Robert told her mother, he called her and was like, Hey, if you don't let Jan come, Jan's just going to come anyway. She's going to get out on the highway and hitchhike to Wyoming if you don't send her. And that's going to be very dangerous for Jan. So, like, you might as well just send her because she's going to come either way. And so Marianne did purchase a plane ticket for her daughter because she thought that would be a safer option than her hitchhiking to Wyoming. Yeah, her trying to figure it out. (laughs) Right. And her father said to her mother, he said, you're probably going to regret that decision someday. And I'm like, damn, dad, you coming up, coming up quick. Mm -hmm. Uh, So June. Back from them hand jobs. June and July of of 76, Jan spent two weeks the family fun center until her family's like, you got to come home. Sent her a ticket. She got on the flight. During that two weeks, she lived in Robert's trailer. And then when she got home, Jan was very angry with her family for making her come home. She said that she was angry and that at the same time, she still felt like the whole weight of the world was on her shoulders because this whole alien mission had not been completed and she was trying to protect everyone. In hindsight, like, especially when with like anxiety, it tells you like, if you don't do these things, you're going to die. Or if you don't do these things, someone you love is going to die. And that's why she's doing these things, because obviously he said that her parents would die or her sister would have to do it or sister would go blind or she'd be vaporized. So she's really trying to hold it all together for the whole family, but she doesn't even know she doesn't have to do that. And so in August, August 10th of 76, they woke up one morning and she was not in her room and she had left a note and said that she ran away without Robert. And this is her letter that she left. Dear Bob and Marianne, not mom and dad. (laughs) You won't let me do what's right, so I'll do what's wrong. I'm leaving without B, and I don't plan on coming back until you accept me as me. I cannot accept your religion or your screwed up morals. I just want to be me and have B. Please, before all of us get destroyed, let me go. Now, the family says that it seemed kind of like that was maybe not written by her it didn't sound like her but she's not at home and they don't know where she is Mm -hmm. and 
This family is not the greatest emergency situation, so they said that they were afraid to let the press know that her daughter was missing again. And so they waited two weeks before they told the FBI. Two weeks? Yes. Because they were like, we don't want it to get out that, that we've lost our daughter again. If your daughter ran away, like you didn't lose her. Like she ran away. I don't know. I, I don't think that that was worth the wait, the two weeks. No. Um, no, I'm just, it's just making me angry. Yes. Yeah. It's not going to get angry. You're going to definitely get angry during this. So Robert was calling from Wyoming and he was like, hey, I have no idea where Jan is, but you better find her. She, should, she might be in danger. And he was calling them saying, you know, I'm, I'm scared for her too because she's not with me. And so the FBI tapped the family's phone and they you know, have all these phone calls recorded of Robert calling the family being like, hey, I talked to Jan. She didn't tell me where she was, but she says she's okay. Like, she called me from a payphone, like, blah, 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 right? Meanwhile, in September of 1976, because of the people, because of the parents who signed the Alpha Davids, he entered a plea deal for the kidnapping, the original kidnapping. And he was sentenced to how long do you think he was sentenced to? A year. 45 days. Oh, okay. All right. Yep. And because of good behavior, he got out in 10. He was only in jail for 10 days. He spent in September 10 days in, in prison. And then once he was released, he moved to Salt Lake City, Utah. In, in November 12th of 1976, just a couple months later, I guess, they found him. In his motorhome in Salt Lake City, Utah, they questioned him. They searched his motorhome and Jen was not with him. So, but what he did have in his motorhome was multiple posters of Jan hung up on all the walls in his motorhome. Posters of pictures that he took when they were family friends and he would come around with camera and stuff. Pictures of Jan just blown up. On the walls of the motorhome. But I guess that's not a crime, right? So I guess they didn't have a reason to arrest him at that point. And Jan wasn't there. So they didn't know where Jan was. And now we still really don't know where Jan was. We were kind of hoping that he was with, she was with Robert. Because then we at Mm -hmm. least would find her when we found Robert. But they continued to follow him and keep an eye on him there was like someone surveillancing the area where he was living and they followed him to a phone booth where he made a phone call and then he left they went to that phone booth and he had left open the phone book and in the phone book was written handwritten a number they called that number and it was a catholic boarding school in pasadena california they were like do you have a student named jan this is the fbi do you have a student named Jan Broberg? Jan Birchtold, maybe? Like, do you have a, a child named Jan there? Your school? They were like, no, we don't have anyone named Jan here. I don't know what you're talking about. Hung up. So they came to find that she was actually enrolled there under an alias. It was like Jan Holbler or something. And he had enrolled her at this Catholic boarding school for girls in Pasadena, California, under the premise that he was a CIA agent and that he was under a secret mission and Jan was his daughter and that he needed her to be someplace safe where she could go to school and live and, you know, be normal while he was out doing his secret agent CIA shit. And he told them that anyone was calling for her whereabouts was not not who they said they were they were trying to get to him and that they were trying to hurt his family to get to him so it was very clear to the nuns at the catholic school like you cannot tell anyone that jan is here because they're trying to involve themselves in a cia investigation so they didn't so in reality Mm -hmm. she obviously didn't run away on her own Robert took her from her room on the night that she left. So at this point, now they have put him into custody and Jan has returned to her family. And her family described her in 
So like when she first returned, the first time she was standoffish and kind of like distant. But this time she was like different and more hollow is what they said. They said use the word that she was like hollow. And so January 14th, 1977, while in jail, he hired two guys, two inmates that got out to burn down Bob Broberg's floor shop in the middle of the night. And he said to them, hey, I'm going to give you $1,000 a month for the rest of your life if you can do this for me. And so they did. Where he was going to get all that money? I was going to say, this man does not work today in his life. So Jan was convinced that it was because that this fire happened because she had not completed the alien's mission. Not that Robert sent anyone to do anything. But at the end of the day, the men pled guilty for burning down the shop and they were put back into, back into jail. June of 77, there were three charges against Robert. Kidnapping, arson, and burglary. And be prepared to get a little angry again. He was acquitted of all charges by reason of insanity. So he was sent to a mental facility for criminals for six months. So that wasn't good. We're going to fast forward a year. <laughs> Wait, do you need to, do you need to vent about anything? I think we're in the home stretch, baby. Oh, I hate the justice system. The justice system is terrible now, was truly terrible then. Six months? In a mental health facility. I'm just saying, all of this is premeditated and extremely thought out. So he is very mentally capable of doing right and wrong. He's, so He's a master manipulator. How yeah. is he mentally unstable? He's able to make anyone do anything for him. That's how insane it is. So we're going to fast forward almost a little over a year. July 31st, 1978. Jan is going to be turning 16 soon. Robert was in, in the mental health facility for six months. And she's starting to like separate, distance herself. He's been gone for a very long time. And for a 16-year-old, six months is a long time. So she was like, mom. I really want to go to this drama camp and I want to go and I am passionate about acting and it'd been a long time since they'd seen their daughter passionate about things and they let her go to drama camp. At drama camp, she met a boy and I put, ah, that summer love. The, the boy, he was also 16. Perfect, right? He bought her ice cream. Aww. But after that moment when he bought her the ice cream and gave it to her he started panicking she got very triggered by the fact that he bought her something and like she was having feelings towards him because of obviously her past right so she ran to her to her cabin and she called her mom and she was like hi mom how are you doing her mom was like i'm okay but I've been dealing with the dogs all day because I think I fed them something bad and their stomachs are hurting a lot, having stomach issues or whatever. And she instantly was like, that's because of my punishment for not completing the mission and because she was talking to this boy. And so then she called back the next day and she's like, hi, mom, how are you doing? Mom's like, dogs are fine. It's all good. And so then she was like, okay. And she was starting to gather in her brain in her 16-year-old brain, that maybe the aliens weren't real. Whoa. So she returned home from drama camp after drama camp. She devised a plan to tell her sister Susan everything. And so she told her, and she woke up the next morning, and everything was fine. No one had died. No one went blind. No one was vaporized. No one else was taken. So then she was like, oh. I've been tricked my mm -hmm. whole life by Robert. And so then at that point, she confessed everything that had happened to her since the kidnapping and all of the details of the relationship and the abuse to her parents. And she like confessed everything. But she was like, I'm not half alien. Like that's what, like I'm obviously not half alien. And none of the things he said would happen happened when I told 
it's like it all clicked, you know, everything started to click for her. And she was like, oh, I've been bamboozled, obviously. So Jan moves on with her life. She, we're, we're in 1980s to early 2000s. She has followed her dreams. She became an actress. She is an actress. She's in a few things, mostly like TV movies and a few like series. I didn't find anything on her IMDb that was like, oh, I know that, you know, but she, she's done quite a few things. I think like on Lifetime a lot. And I think she's like got small parts. Apparently she played the attorney in the Gabby Petito case story, movie adaption or whatever. And yeah. So she said during an interview that being in the theater was her healing space because she says, I wasn't talking. I didn't tell anything, anybody, but boy, do I, did I learn how to share my emotions on the stage? I could scream. I could cry. I could be somebody else during a period of time where I couldn't talk to anyone about anything. So theater literally saved her life. And I think that's why she became an actress. Oh, and so I love that. Yes. On October 30th, Jan's mother released a book that she wrote with Jan. It's called Soul and Innocence, the Jan Broberg story. So they went on a book tour. It was like a tell all kind of like the JC Dugard book. <laughs> and they went on a book tour where Jan told her story, shared information that would help other parents to like prevent this kind of thing from happening again. And Robert began contacting her and her family saying that this book was all lies. And he began showing up at her book events, handing out flyers, denying his involvement and telling lies about her and her family. So on March 6, 2004, just a few months later, at one of her events, Bikers Against Child Abuse or BACA, they were her security at her event. And Robert showed up with his little flyers and he also had a weapon, a gun. So they, when they realized who he was, they were like, you got to go, man, get the hell out of here. So he like was chased back to his van and he like got in his van. And when he was fleeing, he ran over one of the bikers. And at that point, there were 40 witnesses outside who witnessed that the biker getting assaulted. So the authorities arrested Robert and then they released him on bail. March 25th of 2004, Jan files for a restraining order because he's not stopping trying to interfere with her book tour, with her and her family. So he's like, she's like, I just want him to be away from me. Like, I don't want him to be a part of my life anymore. So what normally happens is you get a restraining order and you like just are like, okay, I guess I won't communicate with that person anymore. But he contested the order, which meant that they had to meet face to face in court. And mind you, Jan had not seen Robert face to face for years now, for a lot of years. So they went to court and he was like, there's lots of like clips of the court in the documentary, at least there were clips from the courtroom that was like, are you not doing a movie deal about your story? Are you not spreading these lies about me? And she goes that none of this is about that. I just want you to stop talking to me. Like, I want you to stop being around me. And like, she basically had to like tell Robert, like, I want you out of my life for good. Like, that's why I want this restraining order. And she goes, you know what I really want is I want you to go up there and admit to what you did to me. And he was like, oh, and like, just like, you know, sat back. So the judge, normally a restraining order is for like one year to three years. The judge granted a restraining order for the rest of his life. He was not allowed to contact Jan for the rest of his life. On November 11th, 2005, Robert stood trial. We're almost there. We're at the end. Robert stood trial for his assault at the book signing and the possession of a weapon. The jury found him guilty in both cases. He found guilty for the, for the assault of the Baca member and for the fact that he had a gun on him. So he called his brother and he was like, hey, bro, 
I cannot do jail time. Like, I will not last one day in jail. If I go to jail, I will die. And his brother's like, there's nothing I can do because you did what you did. Like, you assaulted the people, so now you're going to jail. You, Mm -hmm. you know, you had a gun when you weren't supposed to, and you, so you're going to go to jail. Like, there's literally nothing I can do for you. I'm sorry. And so that night, he took all of his heart medicine and drank a bottle of Kahlua and committed suicide before receiving his sentencing for the assault and the possession of a weapon. Like the coward he was. Oh my God. I know. I hate that man so much. They called him a master manipulator, which he was. Mm-hmm. He, he got so many people to do so many things that they didn't really want to do. That was crazy. How much he got people to do. It makes me so angry. But her silver lining is that Jan is okay now. And she was very much an activist for, you know, child abuse and things like that for for people who are struggling with that. Jan was an advocate for other children who went through things like that. And so that's our silver lining. And honestly, like this case probably helped helped solidify a standard that ideally people would follow better in the future. And Jan's like, I I know my parents made mistakes, but they he she says she doesn't believe that they made them like willingly. Like she didn't think that they meant any harm to her by their mistakes. And that the biggest thing was that they were naive. Right. It's it's I'm going to say that it's the 70s and people were more trusting and they were very religious. So I would I would I would also I would also argue that Bob and Mary Ann were also sheltered from bad things. And that they thought that people were inherently good and that because of that mindset, that got them into some sticky situations. Especially Bob. Oh, my. Sorry. (laughs) That's okay. I want to I want to let everyone know I was not trying to tee that up for for a joke about that. Before there's any like negative talk about Bob is that he's already passed away in 2018. Bob, no. The other part about Bob is like. What if he really was struggling with his sexuality? Like, like in your head, like if you think about all the things that happened, what if Bob really was truly struggling in the church with everyone around him? Like he obviously would be very closeted. So like, I don't know. I just feel like it's a possibility. I don't want to say anything about anyone because I don't know anyone. I don't know Bob. I don't know Marianne and I don't know the relationship, but I'm saying, what if he, I mean, what if it was just sad that he just didn't think that he could be accepted? You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying like, it's, it's a possibility. Well, he looks like a sweet man. He does look like a sweet man. He tells his story in the documentary. (laughs) So I think the documentary was made in 2016. So he was still alive then. So I'm just saying that it's possible that maybe Bob could have could have been. I don't know. But that does make me kind of sad to think of. I do think it was insane that he was having sexual relations with so many people in that family. I know. Like I said, he was just going through the family. Yeah. Anyway, that's the whole story. So I'm sorry it was an anger an anger one. It was good. I'm just frustrated <laughs> that well, this man took the easy way out and didn't get yeah. socked up in jail like a real man. <laughs> yeah, because he's a fucking coward. Mm-hmm. He's the one person that I don't mind making a joke about because he was a straight up coward mm-hmm. and a pedophile. And I'm pretty oh, sure what God. he meant. I'm pretty sure what he meant. He didn't specify that why he wouldn't last a day in jail, but I'm pretty sure he meant it was because the guys in jail were gonna fuck him up. Yeah, because usually because in sure prison, that, yeah, they don't mess with like yeah. it's like women beaters and like children molesters. Children, yeah, like anything pedophiles do, and shit. Yeah, anything that has to do with abuse of a child or the abuse of a woman, 
usually doesn't fly in prison as far as I know. Like I've never been there. So I don't know. I've watched Orange is the New Black in prison break though. So mm-hmm. anyway, that was all I had. Thank you, Catherine. Just know that he after 2005, he couldn't hurt any other person or manipulate any That's other true. person. Is that when he died? Yeah, November 11th, 2005. I don't like the Novembers in here. I know. But November 11th is far enough away that it's not really. It's only nine and ten days. It's too close. It probably was one of the staple cases that helps, like, this kind of case from being easier to investigate in the future, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I didn't. I didn't research that anywhere, but I'm assuming. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it brought light to a lot of things. Yes. But anyway, that was, that's all I got. Do you have anything you want to tell us, Spooky Babes, before we go? Well, Spooky Babes, I, I had to endure the anger just as much as you did. And I I'm very upset it about it. Technically, three times. Technically, you're right. But maybe you've already come to terms with it. I don't know. I'm glad he's no longer a part of this world. I'm glad she's still alive and thriving as she should be. And I just hope that she is happy now. Me too. Because that shit is awful. That had to be an insane burden to carry from 12 to 16. Mm, Yeah. To think that the whole world was on your shoulders. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's just, that's a lot. That's Thank, and thank goodness he didn't get pregnant. Oh, I know. I was like, please don't get pregnant. Please don't have a yeah. child at 12. Yes. The whole, the whole time I was watching the documentary, I was like, please don't get pregnant. Please don't get pregnant. Please don't get pregnant. But yeah, hopefully she's doing good and having good healing and whatnot. Because that, that shit is, well, that's just a lot. To go through at such a young age, but but I have respect for her to actually can like be an advocate for others, and yeah, I wish her nothing but the best. And how brave she was when she was like in the courtroom with him, trying to get her, you know. Oh my and, god! And she's like, "I just want you to tell them what you did." And he was like, "Oh, is I that like, in the documentary?" Yes. Yeah. Oh shit! Okay. I might have to watch it. I know yeah. the that documentary has been on my playlist for a minute now. I thoroughly recommend it. I think you'd get a lot from it, even though you already know the case. Because the second time I watched it, I still was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Like I was still watching it like, this is insane. So even knowing the case from what I've told you, I think that it, I think that you could still watch the documentary and still be interested. I obviously didn't get every single piece of the documentary in my my research, you know, because I had to cut and trim. But, right. you know, because it was an hour and 30 minutes of documentary, of well put together documentary. So obviously there are some things in the documentary that you see. You also see a lot more like letters, notes. You'll hear a lot more like you can hear the tapes that he listened to, which... Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's like only, it's not like graphic. It's not at all graphic. But in fact, for some reason, okay, the only trigger warning on the documentary is suicide. And I was like, Yeah. Not pedophilia. Are you kidding me? There's no trigger warning for pedophilia, it's just suicide. And that's maybe there's not a warning for that. that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. For some reason I'm like I I've mean, never seen it. Like, no, I I feel like the closest thing would be like sexual sexual content, yeah. Yeah, or violence. Like, I have no idea. The only content warning is suicide on there, which to me is insane. Be like, oh, so the one like gratification of documentary. The one, the one good part <laughs> that he just like yeeted himself from life. It's like, wow, the one good thing that he actually did. Yeah, the one thing he was able to do. I think that honestly, I didn't talk too much about him, but his brother his brother's like he liked little girls and i have no fucking idea why he did he obviously got him back from mexico by having his phone tap his brother's like grouchy old man kind of guy but like 
she was like, my brother was a fucking disgusting pedophile. Mm-hmm. I'm like, whoa. Well, like, I don't respect. know. Respect. Respect to that know, brother like, right there. Exactly. Like, tell tell how it is. Like, don't try to sugarcoat you just because he's your brother. That's what I'm saying. Anyway. Right. Because, I mean, I get sometimes, like, it's probably going to be controversial, but, like, the Jeffrey Dahmer, like, his his parents were not, like, the best parents, but, like, his dad did care for him, you know, and he was still there for him even when, like, shit was going down. And right. But I, I hate when they just, just because they're family, they're like, oh, Excuse he's a good person. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. I know. So it was it was mildly refreshing to be like, wow, this family member also knew he was a piece of shit. But yep. obviously he couldn't do anything. You can't you can't do anything about it until he's caught. So like mm-hmm. the brother did try to get him caught. He was like, honestly, I thought that when he came back to the States, he was going to beat my ass because I'm the one who got him back in the States. That's what he said in the documentary. He's like, I was pretty sure he was going to beat my ass because I basically got the FBI to tap my phone to find his location. Mm. Anyway, well, was that everything you had for the spooky bitch? I didn't say anything for them. Oh, sorry. Maybe Jan. Yeah, we love Jan. Where are Jan um, Stan? Jan Stan. What was that? Okay. Well, thank you, Catherine. I feel like it would be insanely hard for something like this to be pulled over someone again. I don't feel like a 12 year old today would fall for this. I don't think the yeah, parents no. would either. I think the mm-hmm. parents would be like, fuck out of my house, Robert. Like, honestly, I personally would, I'd, I'd say that's what a nowadays family would do if someone tried well, this. The sad part is, is that unfortunately we, well, it's a good thing. The generations now were more open with like sexual t- talking. Like we, we communicate our feelings and like sexual things that happen. Like we're more open with, all that kind of stuff. So like when something and we're more aware of trauma and what the signs but, look like. Yeah. So it's, I it's would definitely argue that, I would argue that only happened within the last like 10 years because when I was when I was yeah. 12, that was not a thing. Oh, yeah. When I was I 12, I would not talk to my parents if something bad happened to me. Uh-uh. And that no, was I know. just me in the neither. 90s. So like 90s, early 2000s. So. I feel like that was very recent that that kind of stuff changed in like family dynamics, at least. I was going to say, because our generation is becoming parents and we, since we grew up with that and it's more acceptable now, like we want our kids to feel like they can tell us anything, whatever, because we don't want to be like our parents or we don't want to have our kids feel like how we felt growing up. And that's on trauma, baby. (laughs) That's for sure. Yeah. Anyway, so Catherine, do you have anything to say to the Spooky Babes? Yeah. Spooky Babes, we appreciate you for being here. You matter. If you think that you don't matter, send us a DM on Instagram. We will chat with you, send you a meme, maybe give you some advice if we have any. And if you have any spooky stories, send them to us on Instagram. We're going to do a campfire episode soon. So buckle up. Ghouls and ghouls, buckle up. And we very much appreciate you. And thank you for spending some time with us today. And Spooky Babes, we will see you in your nightmares.